0: amen thank you tim and musicians very very much my name is stephen farish i'm a teacher here at the moody church and at a local christian private school christian heritage academy i hope as becky encouraged at the start of the service this morning that you have your bibles open if you do please turn in the new testament to luke chapter 7 Verses 1 through 10. Pastor Bill asked me to preach this morning the account of someone with great faith, and the particular person in this passage, Luke 7 1 through 10, had such great faith that we read Jesus was amazed, that Jesus marveled at it. And thus I've titled this morning's message, Having a Faith, Seeking a Faith from God at which Jesus would marvel. Now, the setting for the passage is this. Jesus has just completed the sermon described in Luke chapter 6, and he returns to Capernaum, a town located on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we pick up in verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. If we were this morning to compare your faith in God that lives in your heart to the needle on the gas gauge in your automobile, would you say that in general the needle of faith in the lord in your heart points more toward full or empty and more specifically over the course of the last 5 months of the covid-19 pandemic has that needle of faith in the lord in your heart has it tended to move more toward full Or more toward empty now the key verse in our passage for this morning is the verse that gives the sermon its title we read that Jesus marveled at the faith of this centurion this Roman military officer and this passage makes you and me as the disciples of Jesus Christ want to have the kind of faith at which Jesus would marvel At which Jesus would be amazed why was he amazed at the faith of the centurion well for one because the centurion was not one of Jesus's fellow Jews Jesus says in verse 9 I tell you not even in Israel among my fellow Jews have I found such faith but that's the other sermon from this passage I want to suggest to you that the second reason and maybe the more important reason why Jesus marveled, was amazed at this centurion's faith was the quality of that faith. Jesus is said in the Gospels to marvel or to be amazed only two times. In Mark 6, verse 6, he was amazed. He marveled at the unbelief in his hometown of Nazareth. And here he marvels, is amazed at the belief of this Roman centurion. So here's where we're going in this message time this morning. First, we're going to see make three introductory comments about the faith of the Christian life very briefly. Then mainly we're going to see the two characteristics of this centurion's faith that caused Jesus Christ the Son of God to be amazed, to marvel at the man's faith. And then as we close, will ask why should we want to have a faith like this centurion and how may we have a faith like this centurion here's the main point of the message right up front God wants you and me the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to seek from him a faith that is humbly bold and boldly humble God wants you and me, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek a faith from him that is humbly bold and boldly humble. First, three introductory observations very quickly. Number one, the Bible distinguishes two aspects of the one faith of the Christian life. There's only one faith in the heart of Christians, but we can distinguish two aspects of that one faith. First is what we might call saving faith, Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. God has ordained that faith would be the instrument of of the salvation of sinners. By faith, we trust that Jesus Christ lived the life without sin. We cannot live that he died on the cross as our substitute to pay the penalty for the sins of sinners, and that on the third day he rose again from the dead so that he's alive to give grace to whoever will seek it from him that they might trust in him alone to save them from sin and to give them eternal life. But of course, Christians after conversion don't stop exercising faith. So we might also speak of continuing faith by which I very simply mean the faith that the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ exercise in God every single day of their lives. We think of Galatians 2.20 where the Apostle Paul writes, the life that I live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Introductory observation number two, whether we're speaking of the one faith of the Christian life, of saving faith or continuing faith, the source of that faith is always God. Specifically, the source of faith is always the grace of God. You may object. It feels like I was the one who was exercising the faith, and that's true. You were exercising the faith. But at the end of the day, you find that though you exercised the faith, in front of that faith, behind that faith, above that faith, and underneath that faith was the grace of God. You find what the Apostle Paul found out in 1 Corinthians 15.10 where he writes, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, including in exercising my faith in God. But then Paul hastens to add, but it was not me, but the grace of God in me. So all faith comes from the grace of God, who is the one from whom we seek it. More about that toward the close of today's message. Introductory observation number three. the the Protestant reformers identified what we might call three elements of the one faith of the Christian life, of saving faith and continuing faith. Element number one, knowledge. To be saved, we must know the gospel. To continue in our faith, we must know the character of God. Element number two, assent. To be saved, we must believe that the gospel is true. To continue in our faith in the Christian walk every day, we must believe that the character of God is in fact what the Bible reveals the character of God to be. But the third element of faith is probably the most important and that's trust. We sang in our first hymn this morning, the words of Hebrews 619, which compares the faith of the Christian life, saving faith, and the continuing faith we exercise every day, compares it to an anchor. What does an anchor do? Well, in Jesus's day, an anchor was a sort of grappling hook that would latch onto solid, immovable rock. And that's what your faith and my faith does by the grace of God. Trust comes out from us and it latches on for dear life to Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand because Christ is immovable, solid rock. So now, the two characteristics of the faith of the centurion that caused Jesus to marvel, that caused Jesus to be amazed. Let's look at the passage again. We read in verse 2, this centurion, Roman military officer, over approximately a 100 men, had a servant who was not just a little bit sick, but was on the verge of death. And so verse 3, he sent some of the elders of the Jews, probably uh, local officials, to Jesus to ask him to come and to heal his servant. At one level, that's not unusual. We know from Luke 4 that Jesus already had been in this town, Capernaum, And had already performed a number of healing miracles. So it's not unusual that the centurion would have heard of these miracles. And sent these elders to Jesus. But why doesn't he come himself? Probably it's his hesitation as a non-Jew to approach someone like Jesus. Who was considered a relatively esteemed teacher among the Jewish people. So he sends these local officials, and look what they say in verse 4. This centurion is worthy. Your translation may read, he deserves to have you do this, perform this miracle for him to heal his sick servant. Why? Verse 5, for he loves our nation. Unlike many Romans, he loves the Jewish people. So much so that he paid the money to build us our local synagogue here in Capernaum. And so they plead the man's worthiness. Jesus, you should perform this miracle for this Roman centurion because he deserves it. He merits it, Jesus, because he loves our nation and because he built our synagogue. So we read at the beginning of verse 6, Jesus did go with these people toward the centurion's house. But he, in fact, never arrived. Why not? Because the centurion sends a second wave of people, this time some of his friends. And what did they say? And here we see the first characteristic of the centurion's faith that caused Jesus to be amazed. And that is that it was a humble faith. Look at what the centurion instructed the friends to say to Jesus at the end of verse six. Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Now the Bible wants you to contrast verse 4 where the Jewish local officials say to Jesus, look, he is worthy to have you perform this miracle with the centurion's own words in verse 6. No, Jesus, to the contrary, I am not worthy to have you perform this miracle for me. And I realized that. Now why did he say he was not worthy? Was it because... He was a Gentile and Jesus was an esteemed Jewish teacher. Probably that was part of it, but I don't think that attitude would cause Jesus to be amazed. Instead, I think we should take the centurion's words at face value. And he's saying to Jesus, in essence, Look, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I realized that the best of my works, even the building of the local synagogue, that Jesus, even the best of my works, is tainted with some measure of sin so that there is utterly no merit that I can plead before you. And so, Jesus, I am simply casting myself upon your mercy. In other words, he's like the man Jesus will describe in Luke 18 who simply pleads before the Lord, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The centurion's faith caused Jesus to marvel because it was a humble faith. It did not say, Jesus, I merit this healing from your hand. It said, I realize that I'm not worthy. And the same is true of you and me. All our best works, our best works, are tainted with some measure of sin. And we do not come before the Lord to ask for mercy based on our own merit. On what grounds then may we plead with the Lord for mercy. Two grounds in particular. One is we know the character of God. Do you remember in Exodus 34 when God revealed his character, the essence of who he is to Moses? How did he begin? First by declaring his name, the Lord, the Lord as he passed in front of Moses. But then what was his first description of himself? The Lord, the Lord, merciful, or the Lord, the Lord, compassionate. It means the same thing. It means that the Lord is good toward those who are undeserving, who find themselves in distress and difficult situations. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, you remember verse 3? Speaks of God as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. It's because God has revealed himself in Scripture to be a merciful God that we can come to him and we can ask for what I like to call sovereign mercies from the hand of God. One of the oldest prayers of the church is so simple. It's called the Kyrie and it goes this way. Tim has taught it to us. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. And we can ask the Lord for sovereign mercies Because he has revealed himself in scripture to be a merciful God. But there is a second reason why the Christian in particular can come before God and can ask for sovereign mercies. We sang also about this reality early this morning. It's always amazing how God, in His providence, puts the music together with the message that He wants to deliver at the Moody Church Sunday after Sunday. We sang of God's work of justification. That's a big word, but it means simply that when God saves a sinner, he forgives all that sinner's sins, past, present, and future. But not only that, he credits to that sinner the righteousness of Jesus so that from that point forward, the sinner does not come before God clothed in his or her sin, but rather in the righteousness of Christ. So in our Trinitarian way of putting it in the life of the church, I come to God and ask for sovereign mercies. I ask for sovereign mercies from God the Father, through God the Son and His righteousness, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is not stingy. God loves for you. God delights when you Christian brother or sister come to him and plead with him for sovereign mercies. God have mercy upon me. That is the prayer of humility and that was the humility of the faith of the centurion that caused Jesus to marvel. The second characteristic of the faith of the centurion that caused jesus to marvel was the boldness of his faith look at the end of verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8 the centurion says through his friends but say the word and let my servant be healed in other words jesus I understand you don't have to come to my house and put your hands on my servant to heal him. You can simply speak from a distance and the disease will be gone. How does the centurion have this understanding? By the grace of God to be sure, but from his practical experience. He says, look, I'm a man both under authority and with authority. I tell My privates, go, they go. I tell my privates, come, they come. I tell my servants, do this, they do it. Why? Because I have authority. Jesus, I believe you have the authority simply to speak the word, disease be gone, and that disease will have to obey you. That disease will have to leave the body of my servant. And brothers and sisters, that is an authority that only God possesses. Only God can say to a disease, be gone and the disease must be gone. This centurion at the very least believed that Jesus possessed the very authority that God himself has over disease. And that is a bold faith. There is a balance here. God calls us to pray and to act with bold faith. But we always do so, of course, in submission to the will of God. As Christ did in the Garden of Eden when he said, let the cup pass from me, but in the end not my will, but yours be done. I've been praying myself every day in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Every day I pray almost the same prayer. God, I know that if you say the word, this pandemic will come to an end in a second. How do I know that? Because there was a day when you caused a plague to strike Jerusalem, it was halfway over the city, and you said, plague, stop. And the plague stopped. God, all you have to do is speak the word, and there would be no more COVID-19. But if God, we the church, have not yet learned through this pandemic what it is that you want us to learn and it's your will therefore to allow it cont- to continue, not my will, but yours be done. But this passage is mainly about bold faith. Yes, we pray with submission to God's will, but let me encourage you to do this. Let me encourage you by god's grace as god leads you let me encourage you to dream gospel-sized dreams and to pray what i would call gospel-sized prayers what are gospel-sized dreams and gospel-sized prayers a gospel-sized dream and a gospel-sized prayer would be for an end to the pandemic of violence in this city of chicago A gospel-sized dream and a gospel-sized prayer would be for God's salvation of some unreached people group somewhere in the world. A gospel-sized dream and a gospel-sized prayer might be for God to bring back some prodigal son or some prodigal daughter whom you love. A gospel-sized dream and a gospel-sized prayer might be for real racial reconciliation within the church of Jesus Christ. A gospel-sized dream and a gospel-sized prayer might be for the healing of a broken body or a broken relationship. God wants us by his grace to exercise bold faith and bold faith dreams as God leads gospel-sized dreams and praise gospel-sized prayers so as we come to our close let's ask why should we seek a faith that is humbly bold and boldly humble and how do we seek a faith that is humbly bold and boldly humble The faith like that of this centurion, a faith that would cause Jesus himself to marvel. First, why seek it? Number one, because God uses means to accomplish his will in the world. God uses our humbly bold and boldly humble faith to accomplish his will in this world. But second, because humbly bold and boldly humble faith glorifies God as faithful. If you're a parent here, you've undoubtedly had this experience. You're in the pool and your four-year-old child is standing on the side and you say, jump and I'll catch you. And the child says, no, I'm too afraid to jump. Jump, I love you, I promise. I'll catch you. No, I'm too afraid! Daddy, mommy is trustworthy. Daddy, mommy will catch you. Okay, and your child closes his or her eyes and jumps and you catch that child and clutch him or her as close to you as you possibly can. That child's jumping does not glorify that child's faith so much as it glorifies your faithfulness humbly bold faith boldly humble faith glorifies god as faithful the faith of this centurion glorified jesus christ as faithful and then finally how do we come to have how do we seek a faith that is humbly bold and boldly humble And of course, the answer is in the verb seek. We ask God for it. Tim actually prayed it earlier, the words of Luke 17, 5, when the apostles came to Jesus and said, Master, increase our faith. We're like that father at the foot of the mountain of transfiguration, aren't we? When he prayed, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Ask God to give you a faith that is humbly bold and boldly humble but of course in all honesty i have to remind you as we close that that prayer comes with a warning label bright yellow and big black letters warning warning god builds humbly bold and boldly humble faith often by ordaining challenges, difficulties, suffering for our lives. I want to close with a hymn that's not so well known. It was published in a hymn book with a hymn that is very well known, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. It has the same author, John Newton, and it was published in 1779. It's called, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. I'll read it to you as a poem. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his faith, his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray and he I trust his answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. Newton says, I prayed for faith because God led me to pray for faith. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request. And by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. I hoped God would make it easy. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord reply. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thine all in me. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you saw fit to record for us in Holy Scripture the example of this centurion of a faith that is humbly bold and boldly humble. And Lord, we know that this is a prayer that comes with a warning label, but we pray that you would produce more and more of that kind of faith in our hearts that Jesus Christ himself might stand amazed because God in it, you would be greatly glorified. And we would know that you are indeed our all in all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.